chapter 13, verses uh, 1 to 12. In the eighteenth year of King Jeroboam, Abijah became king over Judah. And he reigned three years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. And Abijah began the battle with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 chosen men. While Jeroboam drew up in the battle formation against him with 800,000 chosen men who were valiant warriors. Then Abijah stood on Mount Zemarim, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, and said, Listen to me, Jeroboam and all Israel. Do you not know the Lord God of, the Lord God of Israel gave the rule over, over Israel forever to David and his sons? by a covenant of salt. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his master. And worthless men gathered about him, scoundrels who proved too strong for Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. When he was young and, un- and, un- and timid, and could not hold on him, could not hold his own against them. So now, you intend to resist the kingdom of the Lord through the sons of David, being of great multitude, and having with, with you the golden <coughs> calves which Jeroboam made for God for you? Have you not driven out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made for yourselves priests like the peoples of other lands? Whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams, may, even he may become a priest of what, what are no gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the sons of Aaron are ministering to the Lord as priests, and the Levites attend to their work. And every morning they burn to the Lord, burnt offerings and fragrant, in, and, and fragrant incense. And, and, and the showbread is set on the clean table. And the golden lampstand with his lamp is ready to light every <coughs> evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Now behold, God is with us in our head, and his priests with the, with the signal trumpets to sound the alarm against you. O sons of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you will not succeed. Now here's something that you do not see anywhere else in Chronicles. A synchronization of Abijah's kingship with the kings of the northern kingdom. I think this is done here because Abijah's reign really relates primarily to this war with Jeroboam. So since they're giving that contact with Jeroboam, he goes ahead and says it's in the 18th year of Jeroboam that Abijah became king over Judah, and he reigns for three years, and there's war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Um, And, uh, well, look at the odds in verse 3. Who would you bet on? Jeroboam. Outnumbers Abijah's army two to one. Of course, we know with God, that's irrelevant. And so Abijah um, has a little speech for the people, and uh, what does he tell them? Yes, that's exactly right. He says in verse 5, Do you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the rule over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? What is a covenant of salt? What? Why do they call it a covenant of salt? Yes. That's exactly right. 
Salt preserves things. Um, Numbers 18.19 speaks of an everlasting covenant of salt. I think the idea of a covenant of salt is that it just keeps going. It's preserved continually. So David had an everlasting covenant. And Jeroboam and the northern kingdom were in rebellion against that. That's what he's saying. Jeroboam rebelled, verse 6. And they were too strong for Rehoboam. And you're resisting, verse 8, the kingdom of the Lord through the sons of David. You know, you're not submitting uh, to, to the Lord and to the covenant that he made forever with David. And instead of doing that, what does he say they've done? Yeah, you've rebelled. You're serving the gods of Jeroboam, the golden calves. He's driven out the true priests. And who, does, who has he made priest? Yeah. He's basically auctioned off the priesthood. You bring a young bull and seven rams and you can become priest. You know, so he's basically sold the priesthood. And, uh, you know, he says, as for us, verse 10, we're still faithful. We're still doing what, what we've always done in worshiping God. And uh, God is with us. So don't fight against the Lord. Just come on over and join uh, our side. That's a pretty good speech in most ways. Now, it turns out Abijah, we would know from kings, doesn't uh, practice as well as he preaches. Comments, questions? Everybody alive? Okay. So, this is Abijah's speech when Jeroboam is ready to fight him, trying to get the northern kingdom people to see that the true, the side of truth and righteousness, the side that God's on, is his side. Now you come to the battle, 13 to 19. Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind him. They were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind them. And they cried unto the Lord. The priest sounded with the trumpet. And the men of Judah gave a shout. And as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all of Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. And Abijah and his people slew them with a great slaughter. So there fell down, slain of Israel, 500,000 chosen men. How far? 19. Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed, because they relied upon the Lord, the God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued after Jeroboam, and took cities from him, Bethel with the towns thereof, and Jeshana and the towns thereof, and Ephraim with the towns thereof. Okay. While Abijah moralized and lectured Israel, what obviously was Jeroboam doing? Yeah, he was sent an ambush from the rear, uh, and when Judah turned around, they actually had enemies on both sides of them, and they cried to the Lord, and what happened? Yes, God gained the victory. Doesn't make any difference that they're outnumbered two to one, and they were blindsided on two fronts. Uh, whoever doesn't humble themselves before God, God will see to it that they are humbled. And so that's exactly what happened. 
God gave Israel into Judah's hand. They killed 500,000 chosen men. Um, why did Judah win the victory? Exactly. That is the key. Notice also Abijah manages to conquer even Bethel. So much for the golden calf didn't help Bethel stay independent. All right, comments and questions. What's up with the golden calf? <coughs> I mean, because when Israel was coming out of Egypt, they made a golden calf, and now Jeroboam and Israel set up a golden calf. Why did Israel set up a golden calf? Mad cow. <laughs> 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 good question. There's probably something historically with the calf representing, you know, strength, maybe fertility. I would suggest this, though, as well, uh, for whatever it's worth. Have you noticed how many parallels there are between Jeroboam and Aaron? Golden calf's one of them. I can only remember one other, but it's pretty impressive. Um, do you remember the names of Jeroboam's sons? One was Nadab and Abijah. Abijah dies young. Nadab becomes king. But Abijah and Abihu is just a different... It, it's almost the same thing. It's uh, One of them is like, the Lord is our father, and the other one's he is our father, or something like that. It means almost the same thing. So he practically names his kids the same thing that Aaron had named his kids. I don't know what there is. Maybe Jeroboam really looked up to Aaron. You, you know, the thing that's hard about that is, why didn't he think about what happened to Aaron's golden calf if he respected him so much? You know, sometimes people don't make a lot of sense. I don't know if that really answered the question, but you gave me the opportunity to make that observation. Didn't even the other, the neighboring countries around them, they worship calves? Yeah, it was typical to worship calves and other animals, for that matter. Uh, you know, sacrifice their children to the, uh, I forgot the name of it, Mole. 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 Uh, I tried to look up some historical evidence about that. It seems like that was a calf, or a cow statue with his arms held out, where they would lay that baby upon that. Oh, really? Huh. I didn't know. Indian. They worship cows. Yeah. So Good points. Very good points. Other comments or questions? And also, why didn't uh, uh, Abijah destroy the golden calf? Well, you know, I think Abijah just likes to preach good. I don't think he was necessarily all that concerned about the will of God. 
Yeah, well, that's a good point. I don't have an answer. Maybe, maybe they knew Bethel was going to get captured and they'd already evacuated the calf. You don't want your God to get ca- captured, that'd stink. Is Abijah right in everything he says in that speech? Well, not exactly. Uh, the reason I was asking, you know, like, when he mentioned there were gathered to, the, to them worthless men, base fellows that strengthened themselves against Jeroboam, but wasn't it, wasn't it God's plan from the beginning to give those ten tribes? Well, it was, and when he says Rehoboam was too young and Tim and couldn't hold his own against them, I mean, that wasn't really the problem. You know, the, Rehoboam was plenty of brash and bold. You know, he wasn't exactly timid. He just, uh, the Lord had other designs, and he wasn't strong enough to deal with it. So It almost seems like in that speech that maybe he is, some of the things he's saying, he's forgetting about the Lord's hand in that. Mm-hmm. It's still a decent speech, but I don't know that we would say that his motives were even all that pure in yeah. this. I mean, yeah. you always wonder about these guys who preach great, but their lives are corrupt. I mean, Jehu, see my zeal for the Lord, and then he turns out to, you know continue worshiping the golden calves and all that kind of stuff. Well, he doesn't have a whole lot of zeal for the Lord if he doesn't live for the Lord. He just kind of uses the Lord. And you see that every once in a while. Somebody who uses the Lord, they'll speak good, but they don't live for him, and it kind of calls into question the sincerity of their speech. We still see those problems today. Yeah. And everybody else to some extent as well. No doubt. Other comments? All right, uh, 20 to 22. <clears throat> All right, so this was quite a blow to Jeroboam. He never really recovered from it. Abijah was powerful and was, uh, had a big family, but he only reigned three years, so he was not an overly big factor one way or the other among the people. Comments and questions? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it talks about it, Micah, about the heads of Israel, and, and look what they did. Mm-hmm. Micah 3, for example. They paid for these prophets to tell them what they wanted to hear, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where it began, and it trickled down into the nation.
Uh, they're coming. Yeah, we we've heard about him writing a good bit. Um, I'm trying to remember. Did he actually do anything in particular that we know about? You know, I can't. Uh, I don't remember. But he wrote at any rate. So, all right. Um, everybody okay? Everybody you just stand up in their place. If you do, stand up. I may do that sooner or later myself. So, All right, uh, chapter 14. Uh, we move on to a very significant king. Chapter 14, verses 1 to 7. Abijah's son becomes king, and during the first part of his reign, in contrast with his father, he has peace. Um, and how would you characterize Asa's kingship? He is a good king. What kinds of things does he do that show that he was a good king? He, he did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. Yeah, he, he, he was big on opposing and destroying idols, idol worship centers, and that kind of thing. That was a big issue. I mean, all through this period, idolatry was a major factor. And the good kings are opposing the idolatries, and the bad kings are promoting it. It was perhaps as major a reason as any for the downfall of both Israel and Judah. And I've got a question for you. I mean, what were they thinking? How do you, as an Israelite, whom God has blessed, how do you justify worshiping idols? I bet they did. Let me suggest some things. Just, I, I think it's helpful for us to try to think in practical terms about the, the pressure to support idolatry. Think about some of the things that they may have been saying back then. They might have said, well, you know, one God is as good as another. They're all about the same thing when it comes down to the true essence. We're all in the same, we're all going the same place. We're just taking different routes to get there. I mean, you know, whether you call him this or you call him that, whether you worship at the temple or you worship at this high place, whether you have an image or whether you don't, it's, we're all worshiping. You know, it's all the same thing. 
Or somebody might say, well, you know, it's just such a lovely pillar down there where we worship. You know, we've got such a nice altar, and, and it's just so edifying. I feel good about it. It just really makes me feel worshipful, and, and you can just feel the presence of God down there. Can't you imagine some of those kinds of justifications? And uh, I think it's helpful for us to just think about that, because it's the same thing people do today. I mean, we're not that far removed from that. We tend to think, oh, idolatry. That's terrible. Well, I'm not sure we would have uh, had any less struggle with it. And, uh, but Asa, he was really faithful, insisting on the worship of God and not the worship of the, the idols. Um, he was someone uh, who, in verse 4, commanded Judah to do what? Yeah, it, it, it's not enough just to take away the idols. We've got to turn our heart to God and seek Him and obey Him and serve Him. And that's what uh, Asa does. And as a result of that, God gives him rest and peace throughout much of his kingship. And he's able to rebuild and uh, do well. He's got a large army. Uh, things are going well uh, for um, Asa. Comments and questions over this general summary of his kingship. Those gods were somewhat convenient for those purposes, weren't they? And certainly the pressure of being like their friends and neighbors. I mean, you know, we like to be like others and be accepted by them. They've got all those things. There's a lot of, you know, we look at it and we think, that was stupid. Well, yeah, it was, but it's understandable. That's my point. Yes. So they were lukewarm. Yeah. Thrilled with what they were. And that's how easily they were. They weren't strict enough. Probably here they were. They weren't always. Um, and you've got, uh, you know, 14 5. Uh, he removed the high places. But you've got 1517. says just the opposite. Now, that's a question mark. How would you reconcile 14.5 with 15.17? Yes, always from Solomon on. Did he, did he take away the high places or didn't he? You know, he also removed the high places, and uh, but the high places were not removed. Could it be different ones? In what sense? 
Oh, you took him away and then put him back, so it would be the early part of his reign versus the late part of his reign, or different ones in what sense? Like the ones to the Lord, Yahweh, and then the ones to the Maybe he took the, away the ones to the idols, but he left the ones to the Lord, or... Here's an explanation I think might be possible. Could he, in 14, be talking about the high places in Judah, and 15 be talking about that he couldn't deal with the high places out in, up in Israel away from his control? I don't know. Maybe one of those is a decent explanation. You also got in 16 and 17, the, his, or 6 and 7, his strength, and, um, you know... Things are, are going well for him. His uh, fortifications and building projects and so forth. Other comments? All right, I want us to do something here. I think we can do this just by taking about two minutes and let's just stand up here. If you need to go somewhere, do so, but otherwise we'll not take long. We'll just take a brief break to try to wake ourselves up a little. to Asa, a basically good king. Would somebody read chapter 14, 8 to 15? Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far 
start down, those who were in livestock and carried away large numbers of sheep and cattle. All right, we've got a problem. Ace has got an army of how many people? More than 80. More than 300,000. 580,000 if you combine everything in verse 8. A little over half a million. That sounds pretty good until you, uh, and they've got shields and bows. That sounds pretty good until you look at verse 9. Who's attacking? Zero the Ethiopian and how many are in his army? A million men. He's got 300 chariots. Sounds about like having 300 atom bombs, you know, to the uh, sticks and stones of the other guys. And he's got a million men. He's, he's at, Ace is outnumbered nearly two to one. What do you do in the face of overwhelming odds? Absolutely. Don't you love his prayer in verse 11? Lord, there's no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. Who else can help when the crisis is impossible, when the odds are insurmountable, when we have no strength and the enemy has all the strength. God, we trust in you. A tremendous attitude on Asa's part, and what happens as a result of the prayer? Yeah. The Lord gave a tremendous victory to Asa and defeated the Ethiopians. Notice verse 12 mentions the Lord in this, verse 13, verse 14. It's the Lord's victory. And uh, it should, it, it's just a, a demonstration of what the Lord's willing to do for people who trust and rely on Him, like good King Asa. Comments and questions? Chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. Okay, so who comes to Asa? Azariah the prophet tells him what? And if not? Yeah, there you have it. So stay with him. Serve him well. And Asa hears these words and he takes courage and continues to attack the idolatry. 
and to promote the worship of the Lord. This is a great period in Israel's history. Asa's faithful. He listens to the words of the prophet. He continues seeking the Lord and opposing the false worship. Good, good, uh, good period. Good edifying thoughts. Comments on your part. Yeah, Azariah's making the speech in uh, 2 to 7. So what did Azariah say that when he had the prophecy of Oded? Azariah, which Azariah, the son of Oded, the prophet spoke, right? Or is your uh, translation different? Not really. I think they're different. Mine says that Azariah, but his even said Oded. Yeah, but put Oded says with several ancient versions. Hebrew, the prophecy, Oded, the prophecy. Okay. All right, here's what that marginal note looks like uh, to me. That the Hebrew says the prophecy of Oded, the prophet. But some of the ancient translations say the prophecy which Azariah, the son of Oded, the prophet, spoke. It makes more sense that it's Azariah, and so the New American Standard follows the ancient versions and not the Hebrew text, assuming that the Hebrew text was corrupted, that the ancient versions preserve the correct text. That happens sometimes, and it's a translator's question mark, which is the true text. You would normally follow the Hebrew. In this case, it seems unlikely that the Hebrew is right, and they follow the ancient uh, translations, thinking that they probably preserve the accurate text. Who knows? Uh, I didn't. I had not realized that. So, I think it's Azariah. But other questions and comments through eight. I, I think so. Uh huh. The other one was actually inside the t temple itself. Anything else? 9 to 18. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who resided with them. For many defected to him from Israel when they saw the Lord his God was with them. So they assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the fifteenth year of Asa's reign. And they sacrificed to the Lord that day seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep from the spoil they had, they had brought. And they entered into the covenant to seek the, the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord's God of Israel should be put to death, whether, great or sm whether small or great, man or woman. Moreover, they made an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, and with horns. And Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they, swore, for they had sworn with their whole heart, and had sought him earnestly, and let, the, and let him, and he let them find him. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. So he also removed Mekah, the mother of King Asa, from the position of queen mother, because she had made a horrid image as an, as an Asherah. And Asa <coughs> cut, cut, cut down her horrid image crushed it, and burned it in Brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was blameless all his days. And he brought into the house of God the dedicated things of his father, 
and his own dedicated thing, silver and gold and utensils. Yeah, and I guess you can read 19 too. And there is no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Alright, um, so as Asa is strong with the Lord, what ends up happening in verses 9 and following? As you had seen just after the split, you've got people from the northern kingdom who are joining up with Judah and Asa down in the south because they see that the Lord was with him. And they want to be a part of that. And it's interesting that Asa conquers, manages to capture followers by his worship by his spiritual reforms, not by the force of, of weapons. And so uh, they get some from Ephraim and, and Manasseh and Simeon who go down there. What do you suppose the king of Israel is going to be thinking about this? Yeah, it's not a good thing at all. He's, uh, you know, not going to be pleased about that. Uh, but they all get, uh, they all come down to Asa, and in verse 12, what do they do? <coughs> mm-hmm. To do what? Absolutely. They come to an agreement that they're going to together seek God. Uh, by the way, I noticed one thing with you. In verse 9, the people from the north that come down include Ephraim, Manasseh, and who? Simeon, that I thought had cities within Judah. What are they doing coming down? I assume this means that Simeon didn't have a very fixed inheritance and some of the Simeonites had moved up to the north and now are coming down to Judah. That's what I would assume. And so this is just a really good period in which the kingdom's growing and they're dedicated to God and they're seeking the Lord. Look at what Asa did in 16. What did he do? Yes, this may be the grandmother, but at any rate, um, he removed uh, either his mother or his grandmother uh, because of her idolatry to seek the Lord. Uh, our loyalty to God has to be greater than our loyalty to our family. So a lot of times when people are willing to seek God until they have to contradict their, contradict their parents, or their spouses, or their children, and they will let the family ties corrupt them. They'll let the family ties turn their heart away from God. Thankfully, Asa didn't do that. He's willing to oppose his own mom or grandma uh, because she has made this horrid image, and he's not going to put up with it. Um, it's really hard to be a disciple when you've got to confront members of your own family, but that's sometimes exactly what you have to do. So Asa is just a really excellent king, very dedicated to the Lord. Comments and questions on chapter 15? Okay, time out for station identification. Isn't that 